Welcome. You have found the show we call Real Men Don't Cry, or do they? This is a podcast for men, and on this show, we will hear real-life stories from men about how they have navigated the complexities of being a man in this modern day. We are going to look at the boys don't cry way of thinking and how that has influenced them and how they have risen above societal pressures to be true to themselves. The focus of this show is men's real world experiences, not just ideas and theories. I hope that you will learn from what they have discovered and use it in your life as well. Let's get into today's show. Well, here we are. Episode one, Real Men Don't Cry or Do They? My name is Brandon Archer. I am the host of this show. And I thought I would take the very first episode to tell you why I'm doing this. And in the theme of the show, share some of my story and my challenges to get to this point in life. Um, I have been on... I think it's about 25 different podcasts as a guest, and I enjoy it so much. I enjoy the conversations that come out of it. I enjoy the energy. And I've been asked in the past, when are you going to start your own? I'm like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> it's not not something I want to do. And this summer of 2023, it was just like, oh, it's time to do this. So I've been working on the idea of what it's going to sound like, what it's going to look like. And I think the main reason why I would never have considered a podcast before is I didn't know what it would be about. There are definitely a lot of high quality podcasts out there for men sharing some amazing information. And I didn't want to do that. I did not want to just get on here and talk about theory. Um, I enjoy that. I enjoy those topics very much, the things that help men. But through the men I've worked with and through the men I've been in men's groups with, I realized how isolated we are, how we don't know what's going on in other men's lives. And we think that our story, our struggles are unique. And I know that was a big one for me when I joined a men's group and realized, oh, damn, everybody's got these issues. So the this show came about, I'm like, I'm just going to get guys to tell their stories. Because while they might be unique to them, there will be a theme that you as a listener might pick up on. There might be a struggle that they're going through that you're like, oh my God, that is the exact same thing I'm going through. I had no idea. And for me, on my journey, that gave me some relief. It's like, holy crap, I'm not crazy. And I really want that for you too. I want you to learn from these guys without having to take the risk so to speak, of going to therapy. I want you to see that, hey, guess what? There's guys that are learning how to deal with their stuff, whatever their stuff may be, and maybe you can learn something from it. That's what I want out of this show, is for you to feel a connection to these men, even though you've never met them. Feel that 
hey, wow, that guy did it. I can do it too. I know on my journey, I was in a bubble. I had no idea what life was supposed to be like. I just went through the motions. And when I was trying to figure out what this first episode, how much of my story I was going to tell you, I still don't know (laughs) up to this very second what that's going to look like. And that's again, what I want this show to be about. I just want it to be real and raw. So I'll just go all the way to the beginning of how I grew up and I'll try to take you up to present day. I grew up in a religious household. I was the oldest of three children and I was a fourth generation Jehovah's Witness. So I say fourth generation because my great grandmother was a Jehovah's Witness. My grandmother was, my parents were, all my aunts and uncles were. So I bring this up to give you context of where I've come from, but I grew up in a bubble and it wasn't just a normal family dynamic bubble. This was a completely different way of thinking about life and the world bubble. And that's just is what it is. I didn't have a choice in that. It's what I was born into. But I will say, you know, age 12 to 14, I was really starting to question what I was being taught because I did go to public school. I was, I was exposed to other ideas and they didn't jive with what I was being told at home. So there was definitely some... Um, not alarm bells. They're just like, huh, curiosity of why that was. Now, that's just one aspect of my life. But I think something that is really interesting to share, and I can expound on it in other episodes, is when I was very young, I would say three, I do have a memory of it, so I'm not sure the age, that I was hospitalized for some bronchial infections more than once that I can remember. And I was put in an oxygen tent and left there overnight alone. Now that can really cause some trauma for a child. And I just found this out, you know, in the last decade of what that can do to you. And it really makes sense for how I was showing up in life. And I don't share that to, you know, let's have a pity party for Brandon. It's, again, it's the theme of the show is I'm going to share my story and see if you can get anything out of it. And I want you to get to know me because I hope that you like the show and I hope that you want to listen to more episodes. I, at age 14, probably really shut down too from my parents. I stopped communicating. I didn't feel they understood me at all. I was being taught certain things on a religious basis. And then I didn't see those principles practiced at home and it just didn't feel right. So I shut down. Um, one really impactful thing that happened about, I was 16 or 17 is my brother who was younger, but physically bigger. And my dad beat me up. 
Um, that was tough. <laughs> it was tough. It was never spoken about. I had a severe concussion. I spent the night sleeping in a bushes, grabbed a sleeping bag after it happened, just left the house, went to school the next day. And I remember the janitor going, are you okay? Obviously, it's not normal to watch, watch a student walk in with a sleeping bag and shove it in their locker and go about their day. And that definitely was a pivotal moment. Um, lots of pain around that, for sure. I do believe I'm a little more at peace with it now. But challenging, challenging nonetheless. Um you know, after high school, I just got out of the house, had to go. And the world was very, a very odd place for me because of how I grew up. Um, and that's fine. It's, it's just a layer. It's a flavor of challenges that we all have. It doesn't matter where we come from it. We have our, our, paradigms that are kind of given to us by our parents and our environment. Mine just happened to be a little more tangible, a little more you can put your finger on kind of stuff that happened. I spent quite a few in my 20s trying to sort of build a career. I was a, I was a chef for many years. I did enjoy that. I thought I was pretty good at it, but it's very, very draining um, environment. I met my now ex-wife when I was 27. We got married very quickly. We had a child immediately. Yeah, almost immediately within a year. Um, that's, again, I'm just as I'm thinking, that's a whole nother <laughs> episode, perhaps. Um, I love my kids dearly. I have a She's 25 now, stepdaughter, 20-year-old daughter, 18-year-old uh, son, and then a 12-year-old son. But I've only met him once. That I will get to in my story a little further here. Um, I definitely was in love with my ex-wife. Otherwise, why would you get married? How I chose her is probably, you know, something that I, I, I understand now. I'm 49 today as I'm recording this, and I understand it now. Then I didn't know, you know, good-looking woman that gives me attention and we laugh a lot. Sure, let's do this thing. I had zero, zero understanding of relationships, what it, you know, what it took to make it work. Nonetheless, we forged on um, as best we could, you know, bought the house, had the kids, tried to build careers. Um, and I was lucky enough to become a stay-at-home dad. I was very fortunate with that. Um, I was able to bond with my kids in a way that I, I am so, so grateful for. I think that helped me later when we got divorced, I think it helped me stay connected to my kids. Um, but we got caught in a financial situation that really hurt us. And 
you know, that was not the reason our marriage ended, but it was just an extra stress. It was just extra stress. You know, we um, got divorced after seven years of air quotes marriage, but there was no physical intimacy for a couple of years at the end there. Um, but I just had down going, oh, she'll get over it. Like not a very aware um, response to what was going on. But I didn't have, I had nobody to teach me what was going on. I just didn't, you know, it's, I was going to say it's unfortunate, but it's just the way things played out for me. Um, Post-divorce is when I really was challenged as a human being and as a man that hurt a lot. Um, I think more than the marriage ending, it was not seeing my kids daily that hurt. That took me years to, mm, I don't, I was going to say be at peace, but to just deal with it. Um, I just head down post-divorce, tried to rebuild my life. I call it the life escalator, which is you, you know, you get the job, you get married, you have the kids, you buy the house, all these things. And I didn't know what to do, you know, post-divorce. I'm like, oh, that just didn't work. I'm back at zero. What do I do next? So just start working, right? You just start. I just started trying to figure out how, what the next few years are going to look like. I had to move out of town from where my kids were, but still within 45 minutes because there's just no employment in the town that we had lived in. I started to rebuild a life of some sorts, got a bit of a routine of seeing my kids. Um, and then one day I woke up in the hospital. Uh, it was, I woke up, my, it was a Blackberry at the time, because this was a while ago, sitting on my chest. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? I had no recollection of what happened. I am a pretty avid cyclist, can cycle anywhere from 5,000 to 10,000 kilometers a year. And that particular day, I chose not to wear my helmet. What I do remember from that day is going from home to the coffee shop uh, because my car was getting some repairs and I was going to go pick it up. And then my next memory was waking up in the hospital. So what I had was a severe concussion and I didn't know anything about concussions at the time, but I couldn't see straight. I couldn't speak. My cognitive ability was greatly depreciated. And my ear, I almost lost my ear. Thank God they were able to reconstruct it. If I, if you meet me and I point it out, you can see it, or you might be like, what's up with this guy's ear? But pretty grateful that I got to keep it. But what did happen in that time when I couldn't work, I could take care of myself, but you know, when <laughs> it's pretty scary when you can't think straight, can't speak, and your vision is it would go from three dimensional 
to two dimensional. It would look like a painting or a picture. And I'm like, what the hell is this? But what I found happened in that moment is I got very still inside, you know, my, any stress or anxiety that I had kind of was gone. And I would just spend time with my kids and be as focused on them at all um, as I could be. And I have one photo of my son and I, and you can see my ears swollen and he's probably four, five at the time. And I really cherish that photo. It reminds me of just how present I was at that time. And I'll share with you my idea of why that happened a little, little later, but yeah, I got really still. The day-to-day stresses were just not there because I was alive and that was enough. That was enough. I got to spend time with my kids and I was alive. Well, you can't not work. So eventually I'm like, man, I got to get back on the horse and see what I can do here with life and employment. And a job came up that I was qualified for. And I went on an interview and I'm like, I think they're going to see through the fact that I can't do this job right now. Well, got the job, went all in, worked too hard, put in too many hours, missed time with my kids because I had an event to put on. I was in the restaurant industry and this, um, I was now a GM, not a chef anymore, but the combined background, I was very attractive to employers. And I worked a lot, too much, but it seemed like the right thing to do. It seemed like that's what you're supposed to do to get ahead. Sacrifice time with your kids so that you can make money. Well, sure. <laughs> Hindsight, that's ridiculous, but it's, it is very, it just makes sense. It just makes sense from where I was and the knowledge I had. Um, so I, I, I did start to recover from my concussion. It was still there. It was still very much there, but I was able to get through the day. I was able to somewhat function. I, that job came to an end and I had to move to another town with the same employer actually to take another position a little further away from my kids, but still doable. But then I kind of, I don't want to say went off the rails. I had not healed from my divorce. I didn't know what healing was. That's not a word that was in my vocabulary, but I was definitely dating. I was drinking way too much. Um, When you're in the restaurant industry, it's very, (laughs) it's just part of the lifestyle. I had always done pretty good to keep it under control but because of the um, men I was hanging out with that also drank, it was just what we did. Was I hiding from stuff? Yeah, probably, probably. Now, I had, I mentioned I was a cyclist, and when I moved to this new town where I still am today, 
I started cycling a lot again, like probably more than in my 20s and got quite fit, did some local racing. It was fun. It was great. Gave me a bit of a sense of um, purpose. And I trained a lot, like 15 to 20 hours a week is a lot on a bike. And I also drank a fair bit. Now, I had one year of was able to win the local races. Yay, great, feels awesome. Rolled into, you know, the next season excited. Really excited about what I might be able to accomplish. And in the spring, it was April, out on a training ride, Sunday group ride, Let's say there's 50 guys on it and generally I could stay at the front and one of the climbs we were going up, I'm just like, I'm like, I'm just going to take it easy. Something doesn't feel right. And then before I knew it, I was off my bike. Guys are going by, you okay? And I'm like, no, I don't know what's going on, but I don't feel good. And then I'm leaning on my bike. A couple more guys go by, you okay? I'm like, nope. Everybody keeps riding. Now I'm sitting on the sidewalk alone going, what the fuck is going on? One guy had had a flat tire, had to fix it, and was coming up behind the whole group Minute, two minutes later. And he's like, what's going on? And I explained how I felt. He's like, we need to get you to the hospital. And I agreed with him. <laughs> We were about a kilometer away. I'm in Canada, so I'm going to use metric. From my home, I got back on my bike, and he basically pushed me there, got in my car, and he drove me to the hospital. Still in my cycling outfit, in emergency. I take blood tests, take some other tests, and then the doctor finally comes back in the room and says, you're having a heart attack. So I was 41 at the time, super, super fit, like elite athlete fit. And it didn't make sense at all. I texted my ex-wife, told her what was going on. And she said, should I bring the kids but what had happened just before I, I, uh, no, actually it happened after. So I texted her, I'm like, no, let's just wait. Let's, um, I don't want them to, them to see me this way. So they would have been 12 and 10, 11. Uh, Madison would have been like 14, 15. And I'm like, yeah, just let me. Because at that point, they were going to just put keep me overnight, put me in a regular room, give me some medication. Didn't know what the plan was past that. But then, after they say they're going to keep me overnight, doctor leaves, alarms go off. Nurses come in to my room. Their eyes are huge. And I'm like, ooh, they're, they're actually scared right now. They're actually scared right now. And that, 
made me retext my ex-wife and go, um, so they don't know what's going on. Maybe you should bring the kids. I didn't tell her, maybe I'm not going to be here tomorrow, but that's definitely what I was thinking. So change of plans from the doctors. We're going to put you in the cardiac ICU and they take me up there. More gizmos and gadgets attached to me. You know, I'm 41, I'm fit and I'm in the ward with the, you know, older people that definitely had health health issues. So my kids show up, obviously a little unnerved. I'm trying to be just like the calmest guy in the room because I probably am at the time. And I'm just happy to see them. I remember where my ex-wife, she sat at a chair at the end of my bed. I could see her while she let the kids kind of come in closer. And then the alarms go off again. And I was surprisingly calm. But I looked at my ex-wife and her eyes were big and just, you know, a knowing look at each other like, oh, shit. I'm like, yeah, this is an oh, shit moment. This is an oh, shit moment. So the kids left and... I don't remember how my mom found out where I was because at that time I wasn't talking to my parents and I don't, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is the religious aspect of things. The second is the, mm, my feelings when I was around them, my nervous system would just light up. You know, it, it was trauma-based, it was anxiety-based. I, I now know what it was, didn't know what it was then. I just knew it didn't feel safe. So I made a decision that I didn't want them in my life. Again, I can have another episode on that because there there's a lot uh, I've learned about myself around that and come a long way um, to being at peace with with anything bad that happened. I shared with you about my dad and my brother. Well, you, I have overcome that, you know, is there maybe some unresolved stuff around that? Perhaps, but in general, it's resolved internally with me. Um, you know, my mom showed up with my sister and I can't remember who else was there at the time, but they knew I didn't have a relationship with my parents. And I'm like, I didn't want her there. Didn't want her there. I'm sure that hurt my mom, which I never really probably thought about that till today. But it's where I was at with my capacity, and um, she she did leave. Again, like I said, that's <laughs> potentially whole nother episode and share what happened after you know physically is pretty interesting they do all kinds of tests like man if you've had a heart attack you know or you're somebody you know as you know what i'm talking about it's crazy what they do like 
gave me a bunch of precautionary medications. That makes a ton of sense. But I think it was a day or two days after my heart attack or week. Yeah, because I was at home. They bring you back to the hospital and they put you on a treadmill and say, run as hard as you can. I'm like, what? This had a heart attack. This sounds like a horrible idea. But I was super, super fit that time of my life. And I'm like, and competitive. And I'm like, I'm going to break this fucking machine. And I, I didn't break the machine, but I scared the ladies um, running the test because I was able to get my heart rate up high and hold it there. And they finally like said, no, you're done. I'm like, ah, oh, but I have more in me. Like, so then they do this crazy test where they put a scope in your leg and check out your heart, check for blockages and whatnot. Very not a cool test. And then finally you get back to the cardiologist and he's like, well, we think that you had this plaque in your arteries, which everybody does, by the way. They didn't put stints in. They didn't do anything. We think this piece broke off and caused this, this episode. I'm like, you think it happened that way? What does that mean? And I asked him, can stress do this? He's like, 100%, but there's no metric for it. And I'm like, that is 100% what happened because post-divorce, I was so stressed out for so many years, different factors financially, um, lots of different reasons. And I'm like, that's it. And that's really when I went, this cannot be the way we're supposed to do life. There's just, this is no way. And when I look back on, you know, the severe concussion, waking up the hospital and the heart attack, there's a couple different ways I look at it. One is with the heart attack, obviously it was my body going, hey, this is not good. We got to slow you down. The other way I tend to look at it sometimes, I don't think a lot about it now, but I definitely did a few years ago was the universe or God or who, whatever works for you going, Hey, Brandon, you got to look at some stuff, man. Like you're going to kill yourself. You're going to kill yourself if you keep trying to do life this way. So the concussion was, you know, <laughs> maybe... I was going to say a gentle, a gentle, hey, slow down. And then I can't remember how many years it was later, two, three for the heart attack. Then it was like, oh, okay, we got to knock this guy on his ass because he is just not listening. But I definitely listened with the heart attack. Um, I shared how present, how just in the moment I got with the concussion while with the heart attack, it was, it was way, way more intense. I saw, I realized that literally none of the bullshit stresses that we create stories about in our life matter. Like none of it matters. I was alive and I might not have been. 
the day my kids came to see me at the hospital with the heart attack could have just as been easily as been the last time they saw me. I don't really like that idea. So it made me, this event really made me look at my whole life. And I remember one of the, one of the first things that I said to myself is I'm like, I'm not doing things in life. I don't want to do anymore. I'm just not doing that. And I made career changes to reflect that. I had, at the time, started a youth cycling program with a retired professional cyclist that lived in the same town as me. I think we'd been in, I think we'd been up and running two years. And I just like, I'm going to be a cycling coach. That's what I'm doing. I love it. And I did do it. I did do it. Um, I worked with the provincial cycling organization with some programs. I built this program uh, locally quite a bit and it was fun and it was great. I got to play with kids on bikes and teach them some, some great skills. And my kids got to be in the program. That was super cool too. And it was just the starting point of realizing I can determine where my life is going. I don't have to be at the mercy of the situation or of the fears I had. I didn't really have that language at the time, but I knew that if I kept living my life the way I was, I was it was going to kill me. And that, that was not an option. The other, <laughs> here's where the story, um, from this point forward, everything is learning. My eyes are open and I view everything in life differently. I met a woman two weeks after this event, this heart attack. I call it an event. It's a heart attack. And the story is pretty pretty fun. Uh, one of the, the first person that was at the hospital post heart attack was a friend that opened or that owned a brewery, a brew pub. And a couple weeks later, I like went to the, went to his brew pub to just chat and check in. And this was, this would have been May by now. So the weather's getting really nice. We're sitting on the patio there's this cute girl with this other girl across the way and we're making eye contact and I'm like, Oh man, what the heck? Well, we ended up going on a date or two. And then I, I said to her, it's like, I don't have the bandwidth for this. Like I've just went through a heart attack. I need, like I got some shit to deal with. And I remember, I will always remember all she said to me is like, well, let's just try. Let's just try. I'm like, fuck. So we did. And, you know, I have a, 
I have a lot of respect for her and I have a lot of, um, a lot of gratitude for what that relationship taught me and the direction it pointed me on because I had never before that point had a woman ask me, well, what do you want in the relationship? I'm like, what, what are you, what are you talking about? That doesn't make, I don't understand. I don't even understand what she meant, but I get it now. And it was just my first foray into like a conscious relationship. In fact, she introduced me to, you know, some of the teachers that have helped me on my journey. And that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. In that relationship, I had to face my wounding with my mother. Remember I mentioned the oxygen tent thing? Well, that that ripping a child away from its mother for whatever reason causes uh, anxiety, anxious attachment. I was so anxiously attached, but I had no idea what it was. That relationship post-heart attack helped me start to dig into what that was and why it showed up and how it affected my behavior. Because I would, you know, I could be very kind and very loving and my behavior would switch and be harsh and cold and rude. I'm like, and then after I'd feel guilty, I'm like, I don't know why I did that. But it ends up, it's this anxious attachment that came from many different things in, in my life, in my past. All I knew is that I didn't like it. I didn't like treating people that way. It affected the way I showed up with my kids. I never wanted to yell at my kids, but I did. Post-heart attack. I would say in the first year, I probably still did. But after that, I was, I was able to, to not do that. Doesn't mean there wasn't tension with my kids. Like every parent, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard. But it definitely helped me change how I showed up for them. Um, this woman, post-divorce relationship. I can't remember how I ended up reading the book, The Way of the Superior Man. And I'm like, mind blown, mind blown. It's it's a little foray into the stuff we don't know about men and women. And it just opened my eyes so quickly. That somehow led me to the book, No More Mr. Nice Guy, which also was a like, oh, damn it. Here's all my behavior. Here's, here's, all, the sh- here's all the shit I'm doing. Here's why I'm doing it. And I don't like it. So... One of the things in that book by Robert Glover was join a men's group. So right away, I'm like, I'm on the search locally in town. I'm looking and I found one, but it's like, ooh, it's like soft and mushy and like not what I'm looking for. Really like wishy-washy guys. And I ended up searching Instagram account, Evolving Man, Ben Goreski, had a video on like, hey, we're doing this online group and looking for men. 
and I watched this thing a couple times, came back to it like a week later. First time I, I watched it, I'm like, yeah, I'm not. They're looking for high caliber guys. That's not me. I can't. This isn't. It does. It's. I was attracted to it, but it didn't feel like they would want me. Finally, I reached out to him, got on a call, told him the books I read, told him where I wanted to go with my life. And he's like, you're exactly the kind of guys we're looking for. So I joined that group. And then shit got real. <laughs> shit got real. Um, didn't know that having other men in your life in a container like that can help you improve your romantic relationship, can help you be better in all aspects of your life. I just didn't know. And that journey into men's work arena, forever grateful for it, forever. Within six months, I think it was, I was running my own men's group locally here. And lots of bumps along the way, I'll admit. You know, you're exposed to new knowledge, new ideas, and it's easy to wrap your head around them, but to put them into play in your life can be a whole, it is a whole nother thing. Just because you read a book doesn't know you mean how to live that book. But I tried to live the book before I was ready, if that makes any sense. But it was part of my journey. You know, that relationship ended, but the anxiety I had about letting it go ruled me. It absolutely ruled me. It affected my behavior. It had me thinking, oh, I can, I can get her back. Very unhealthy dynamic for me, but I didn't know where it was coming from. I just thought this is the way it is after a breakup. This is what people go through. It's not true. So what I went through based on my experiences, but there is other ways to handle that. COVID happened. COVID changed the world. It changed my life. It was hard on me. It accelerated my growth. To be honest, it accelerated my growth. Um, I met a woman during COVID online, long distance, that felt like, air quotes, the one, the one. And it was great. I, I got to see parts of myself that I hadn't. I got to feel love in ways I hadn't before. But that was not meant to be for me, for us. And when that ended and the way it ended and the amount of work I had done on myself, I cracked wide open, wide open. And I'm not talking like it hurt. I let it crack me open. I let it open me up to all the pain I had around my childhood and the pain I had with my mother. It just happened to manifest through this relationship ending. And allowing that to happen is the best thing I ever did for myself. I could have bottled it up. I could have started drinking. I could have 
done all these things to hide from it. And I chose, I chose not to. And I say chose because it was a choice. I had learned enough, you know, read enough books as I, as I kind of alluded to before. I'm like, oh, damn it. This is the window. This is the way into my own personal shit that I've been looking for. And I went through it. I went through that door instead of closing it. And it was hard. It was really hard. One thing I had was a lot of support. I had a lot of men in my life to be there for me. Um, I, at the time, was definitely looking to someone to rescue me. But didn't know that's what I was looking for at the time. But I was. I was like, who can help me? Who can rescue me? But by staying in that space, I was limiting myself. And when I realized, oh, damn it, I'm the only one that can save me from this pain. And it took me a while. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you I figured it out overnight. When I did figure it out, things changed for me forever. Things that used to upset me or trigger me um, didn't anymore. Or if they did, it felt like I could control it and like I could deal with it. Whereas before, it would overwhelm me. Now, you know, as a dad who has adult, young adult children, <laughs> it's been interesting. I'd say, obviously, it's romantic relationship with my kids where stuff shows up the most or my shit shows up and I, I don't want to treat those people poorly. Unfortunately, that's the cycle of shame we have in society and we pass it on to the people that are closest to us. But I try hard to stay connected to my kids, to empower them, to disagree with me, to be angry with me because I didn't get that. And that is a societal, you know, oh, you respect your, you respect your parents. You don't talk back. But what we don't realize that does is it stifles the human being and our children. And I don't want that. I don't want to do that to them. So I try really hard to allow them the space to do that. And that's a, you know, me sitting in that pain of that breakup I was talking about. It was the only way I could get here. I, I, I don't know another way. I mean, maybe there is, but this was my path. This is my journey. And this, this whole podcast is just about raw as fuck. I've not really <laughs> held back um, on sharing anything with you right now. My kids are important to me. It's, it's breaking the generational trauma. You know, they have trauma they're going to have to unpack. I That hurts my heart. But I also am hopeful that what I have learned in my journey, I can now pass on to them. So they have some tools when I didn't have tools all through my 20s and 30s. I had nothing. Literally had nothing. No basis for what the hell was going on internally. I just sent both my kids yesterday a video 
of John Bradshaw, a PBS special he did in, it might've been the eighties. I, I, I'm not sure on the year. And I just asked them to listen to it. And my 20 year old's like, yeah, this makes sense. And it was about this trauma and how it affects you. And it's nobody's fault. It's just, it is what it is. Because I want them to have the skills today or at least understand the concept of what is going on internally for them so that they can have a different life. So they don't have to have a heart attack or a major event before they go, whoa, wow, life's not supposed to feel stressful to that level anyway, right? There is a certain amount of stress that's healthy, but a constant state is not, is not good for you. After COVID, you know, during COVID, I, I really dug in and really learned a lot. I expanded my network of teachers and mentors, friendships that allowed me to just learn more, change my perspective on almost everything, but especially relationships and relationships with myself and ourselves as humans and what makes us tick. That stuff is cool. I like it. I like it a lot. And I like that it can help men and it can help families quite quickly. Like, let's, let's be honest. It can really quickly change your life if you choose to. So post-COVID, I just have been trying to figure out ways to serve men more. Uh, my personal journey goes on. The the even that the journey of trying to help more men and standing on a higher mountain and using my voice. There's shit I gotta look at and go through and unworthiness feelings and less than and like what will people think of me? That's real, man. It's there. It's I don't think it's going anywhere. I just think I can navigate it now. Um a podcast where I speak to everyone. <laughs> like I just, <laughs> I just opened the door to some of my, not my deepest, darkest, but yeah, there's some, there's some shit in there I shared with you guys today and I'm okay with it and I'm okay with it, but it still like scares me a bit, but I've learned to, navigate the fear and realize it's a primal brain response um, and that I get to choose. I get to choose to submit to that fear or I can choose to acknowledge it and learn how to deal with it. And I choose to learn how to deal with it. I don't know what's next. I'm in a relationship. It challenges me. And it challenges me because of my internal stuff. And that I don't think it's ever going to end. <laughs> I, I have a, a friend and he said, I now laugh when I catch myself in a trigger because he's, he's just like, oh, there I go again. And it's just, I think it's what we do as humans. You know, our nervous systems, they hijack us, man. It doesn't matter your, what intent you have unless you spend some time dealing with 
getting your nervous system healthy, it's going to, it's going to hijack you every single time. It still hijacks me, even though I do the work and, but I'm now okay with it. I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, oops, I'm human. Cause my shame, my shame, oh my God, my shame held me down on the ground saying, don't get up. You're just going to fuck up again. And that's not how I want to live. That's not what I want to model for my kids or it's just not, I don't want them to feel that. I don't want them to experience that at least to the extent that I did. Um, and even if they do, I want to show them, Hey, you can, you can overcome that stuff. Okay. If you've made it this far, (laughs) um, thank you. I am probably not going to edit this. I'm probably just going to publish it the way it is because the whole idea is just sharing. The whole idea of real men don't cry or do they is like, put it out there, put these stories out there and you're going to hear some amazing stories from the guests I have coming on the show. I hope that gives you a little insight into why I'm doing the show, who I am, what I've been through. It's not a, it's not a fucking competition. It's not like who had the worst life. It's, Hey, yep. We're all going through some shit. It's okay. It's the human experience. I I honestly, I honestly believe that. So I just wanted to share a little bit about me, the journey I'm on, where I've been, where I'm going. And I'm pretty grateful if you've listened to this. And we'll see you soon. Thanks for taking the time to be here today. I honestly hope you found something you can use in your life. And I hope you found some relief in knowing that you're not the only one with challenges. We can be very isolated as men. If you don't have support in your life, please reach out to someone. It's okay to need help. It doesn't mean that you're less of a man. In fact, it takes a courageous man to know when it's time to ask for guidance. Until next time, brother.